0: Despite three chapters in X-Men Ten Swords as the all-hands-on-deck event hurls towards a conclusion, the biggest X-Men news this week likely came in the pages of Fantastic Four over the course of only a few panels featuring Franklin Richards and Professor X. Today I'll answer, why would Marvel make it so Franklin Richards is no longer a mutant? Is this development real or is it a fake-out? Why accusing Franklin of faking his mutant nature is a much bigger deal than some think, should creators outside Hickman's X office be playing with mutants? All this and more will get answered here as well. Some theories and predictions for what's to come in X-Men. Hey everybody, I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of Comic Book Herald. You are listening to Kraken Krakoa number 121. If you like the Comic Book Herald's YouTube channel or Kraken Krakoa, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing. Spoilers for discussed Comics will follow all right what happened this week okay starting in fantastic four number 25 an oversized issue written by dan Slott, who took over the relaunch fantastic four in 2018 with art by Arby silva of powers of 10 fame A subplot focuses here on Franklin Richards, the teen son of Reed and Sue Richards, part of the Fantastic Four family and also an Omega-level reality-warping mutant. Throughout slots run on Fantastic Four, Franklin's immense powers have been mysteriously waning, handicapping the original overpowered Marvel character. An immense battle in issue number 25 leaves Franklin without any inkling of his innate abilities, so he turns to Krakoa and Mutant Kind for answers, only to find that he's no longer able to use the mutant gates either, okay? It's very sad development in this story. Now, this is not the first time a Cracone Gate has failed for Franklin. Back in the X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries by Chip Zdarsky and the family Dodson, which came out only this summer, with the X-Men and the Fantastic Four vying for Franklin's allegiance, or more accurately in this case, vying to be his home and family, a dramatic moment in the first issue involves Franklin trying to flee through a Cracone Gate only to find that it doesn't work. And the reason Franklin can't use the gate by himself is that Reed invented a device to mask his mutant gene and prevent access to the gates. So already we have a possible suspect for anything that prevents Franklin from using the gates moving forward. Although Professor X and Magneto pretty famously wiped Reed Richards memory in uh, the final issue, the fourth issue of that miniseries, his ability to recreate that technology, the end of that mini, you know, he doesn't remember how anymore. And we will come back to this in some detail as I go. Regardless, Fantastic Four number 26 cements the idea that Franklin's inability to access that Cracone gate is no one-time accident. Long story short, Valeria Richards, Franklin's sister, builds what's called a forever gate, allowing her to travel, from what I've gathered from the run I'm not particularly otherwise that invested in, basically anywhere across space. So Franklin gets his hands on the tech and sees his opportunity to get to Krakoa without a gateway, but before he can press play, Professor X telepathically projects himself into the room and tells Frank to put that thing back where it came from or so help me. Well, pay a lot of attention to the language Professor X uses here too, because it's abysmally chosen by writer Dan Slott and deeply objectionable when expanding the mutant metaphor and considering the real life minority groups who hear very similar claims too often. Purely in terms of the core message, Professor X holograms in to tell Franklin, well, actually you're not a mutant, and not only that, you've never been a mutant, and oh, by the way, the reason you presented as mutant all these years was because you wanted to seem special. As retcons go, it's massive, sweeping, sudden, and damaging. Well, we'll dig in as I go, don't worry. But even in the context of Slots Fantastic Four, what makes the change especially depressing is how fully Franklin had just been seen to embrace his mutant genes. In issue number 25, we see Franklin's bedroom completely decked out in mutant posters, Dawn of X logos, and paraphernalia, including Juggernaut, who is not a mutant, but you know, who's telling Franklin. And he tells Uncle Johnny here he's listening to Lila Cheney, Dazzler, x remix, and it's mutant music, you wouldn't get it. Surly teen mutant punk, frank richards is great and it's honestly too infrequent that we get to see franklin richards in the pages of fantastic four actually talk about and react to being a mutant i suppose i'm biased here in that i'm way more invested in marvel's x-men than just about anything this side of immortal hulk from the publisher but i'm really digging you know into franklin invested in mutant in mutantum, and it's a great angle for this character or at least it would have been so what's going on here okay is franklin a mutant or not what should he be So, Franklin's been classified as a mutant in the Marvel universe since at least the early 1970s, I think technically 1973. I get that technically, if you run it back to his Silver Age origins, Stan and Jack didn't classify Franklin as a mutant when they created the character. In his debut in Fantastic Four Annual No. 6, all sorts of negative zone hijinks, including the introduction of Annihilation in his Cosmic Control Rod, ensue before Sue Richards, or Sue Storm at that point, no, she's Sue Richards at that point, can't have a baby out of wet log in the Silver Age, that'd be crazy, can finally safely deliver Franklin. So purely on a what-was-the-original intent level, yeah, it's not preposterous that Franklin's powers would be related more to cosmic rays than the X-Gene, okay? I get that part of the argument. That does make some sense. Nonetheless, part of the deal with ongoing never-ending superhero continuity is that these characters, especially the ones that have been around for decades, evolve and change over time through the hands of a wide variety of creators and thinkers, adding in elements that become established part of the canon as they go. For example, Tony Stark's alcoholism isn't really established until Demon in a Bottle, but it would be a wild retcon for a storyteller to step in now over 40 years later and say Tony was never an alcoholic Actually, he just pretended to be one because he liked the attention. Not only has Franklin been known as a mutant in the Marvel Universe since the early 70s, but the character has also been seen in multiple future timelines as a mutant, such as, for example, most famously, Days of Future Past on Kenny X-Men 141 to 142 by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. And perhaps most decisively, at the end of the universe entirely in the more recent history of the Marvel Universe, a six-issue mini that was released, again, like the last uh, over the course of the last year. We see Franklin mentioned by Galactus as the most powerful mutant ever born. So mutantum has been in Franklin's DNA, not only in Marvel Comics continuity, but also in these extended, like, looking deep out into the future of the Marvel Universe type stories, where he is still very much known as a mutant, okay? So that's something that has to be rectified with this sort of retcon. One of the most frustrating elements with this story, too, is there are a lot of signs that this move is not in line with the X offices plans for the character, okay? I mean, the first, most obvious example of this... Is our chart of Omega Level Mutants, way back from, from House of X, from, written by Jonathan Hickman? Franklin Richards listed among the very few, very limited Omega Level Mutants. And of course, in red there, because his alliance is with humans, you know, because he is tied to the Fantastic Four family. We also had in Marvel Incoming Mr. Sinister looking for Franklin Richards' DNA, you know, trying to collect all the Omega Level Mutants, knowing that they are the prime resource that Krakoa is looking to harbor and keep safe and, and use for some purposes we don't still don't totally know exactly what that is at this point and then of course there's the entire x-men fantastic four mini <laughs> it was it was all about getting franklin uh to choose essentially between Krakoa and fantastic four and ultimately choosing both you know getting to be in both worlds so it, you know all that said too like i find it hard hard to believe that dan slott has more juice than jonathan hickman at marvel And by hard to believe, I mean clearly he should not, you know? So if Hickman and the X-Office have plans for Franklin Richards, and given the multiple mentions in House Number 1, there's sure reason to believe they do, those plans simply have to supersede slots destined-to-be-forgotten Fantastic Four run, you know? Like, that just seems like a given. This is also actually the second time we've seen Professor X hop out of his way to tell somebody they aren't welcome on Krakoa in uh, non-X-Men books. I guess, well, Juggernaut is part of the X office so maybe that's not a great example but we do see him do it in Juggernaut with Kane Marco so it's worth reiterating too like mutants can bring humans to Krakoa the claim that humans straight up aren't allowed is kind of untrue they just aren't allowed by themselves without an escort and Professor X here telling Juggernaut he can't come telling Kane Marco his stepbrother there's enough bad blood there that I buy that <laughs> you know but like it, it makes some sense to me that Professor X would be like yeah you specifically Kane, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you it's only for mutants because I don't need Juggernaut on this island fair enough, right? They've been enemies long enough, even if Juggernaut's kind of playing playing anti-hero at this point. So with Franklin, though, like it feels amply more sinister, minimal pun intended. The most generous read, I think, on the situation that I can think of is that Professor X is simply tricking Franklin, okay? Think about it. They got Franklin on Krakoa already. At the end of the X-Men Fintech 4 miniseries, he gets there. Beast is running tests on him. They're doing the whole thing. So in theory, they have his DNA already. Franklin is the only Omega-level mutant allied to humans. So whether or not he is spending time with uh, Krakoa, whether or not he is more into the mutant side, he still has a family that is all human, right? So in the eventual build that I've been talking about in terms of, like, how the X-Men conquer the galaxy and how this story really expands in the Hickman era and goes cosmic an alliance of Avengers plus the cosmic side of things that I won't dig into here. You can check out my How Hickman's X-Men Conquer the Galaxy, uh, Kraken Krakow for more on that, versus the X-Men plus their cosmic alliances. Franklin is a huge chip, right, in that sort of war, and he's also a liability, I think, for Krakow because they don't know which way he's going to fall. And I think potentially, too, like, taking away his mutantum, that puts Franklin as an enemy on par with the great pretender Wanda Maximoff, Right although in many ways without the same carnage that she has already unleashed via decimation but now you have potentially for the x-men if you're looking for like ways to get them thinking about, okay, we need to take on the quote-unquote Earth's Mightiest Heroes. We have an Avengers villain who pretended to be a mutant, Wanda Maximoff, and Quicksilver for that matter, and now we have a Fantastic Four example in Franklin Richards, right? So it, it creates these enemies of sorts. It is not impossible to believe that Franklin actually represents a massive threat to Krakoa. They got him in the door and he spent some time working with the increasingly ethically compromised Beast, but when push comes to shove, when it's cosmic alliances with mutants on one side and the Fantastic Four on another, who's Franklin gonna side with? And the risk that he'd side with family, I think is too great for Professor X and company, understandably so. Again, I'd say this is the most generous read on the situation. To theorize an actual communicated outcome and planning, that is more than the actual most likely answer here, which is probably different offices and different freelancers not talking to each other and accidentally bumping heads. You know, like there's a very real possibility ability here that this is Dan Slott in the Fantastic Four office, which I believe is run by Tom Brevort, just wanting to do what they want to do with their characters as they view them and not really collaborating. Now, again, maybe they do. Maybe there's a secret plan here and that's kind of what I'm theorizing, but I think that's the generous read on the situation. You know, it does also seem entirely possible again, to give like a generous theory of, okay, how could this make sense? It seems possible that it will be revealed that that was not Professor X who came and delivered that message Franklin let's say what Professor X said is even true. Franklin would still be a cosmically powered mutant ally, okay? Um, or rather, a cosmically powered non-mutant ally. Literally fighting to get to Krakoa, where, oh by the way, they're on the brink of annihilation via the hordes of amen from the Ten of Swords event as we speak, it actually doesn't make a ton of sense to cut off an ally cold turkey like that an ally that not that long ago, Professor X and the X-Men, were going to war with the Fantastic Four and Doctor Doom to put him on Krakoa. <laughs> like, it just doesn't actually add up narratively much at all plus again non-mutants are totally allowed on Krakoa like you just have to have a visit with a mutant so to cut him off like that I mean it's it's punitive you know it's saying like you did this you pretended to do this it's leaning into the story arc where Franklin Richards pretended to be a mutant for clout which is a we'll talk about this but like boy is that a that an angle to lean into so Reed Richards he shouldn't remember how to do this, he shouldn't remember how to shut off Franklin's X-Gene, and I doubt he'd be this cruel to his own son, but Reed did have the tech to mask those mutant genes. So this sure feels to me like, a Doom manipulation, okay? Dr. Doom, he wants access to Franklin Richards. He wants his power. He wants Valeria and Franklin under his arms. He respects the heck out of their power and and the, what they can kind of afford him. I think him pretending to be Professor X, lashing out and saying, turning off Franklin's X-Gene even with some, you know, if Reed could invent it, Doom could invent an analog, right? Doom could invent it. Maybe it's not exactly the same, but he could do something close. I think this is a plot by Doom. That is a... a very plausible Marvel-style type thing, that would make sense, you know? And it, it at least takes the delivery of this message out of Professor Rex's mouth uh, in the long-term, okay? Now, the short-term damage has been done. I, I do have to say too, like, there's a part of me bristling irrationally anytime the X-Men show up outside the actual X office now, and Fantastic Four is a pretty good case study for why this maybe just shouldn't happen, <laughs> you know? Like, it can go very badly. I mean, the upcoming Avengers Enter the Phoenix narrative, It's going to be written by Jason Aaron. It's another example where I'm pretty concerned how the X Men get mixed into this story. A story that feels fairly central to the cosmic seeds Hickman laid out for the Phoenix in Powers of Ten. You know, the Phoenix is going to have a role in that story. It's one of the very few things the Phalanx or or these various cosmic entities fear, you know, so it getting utilized also alongside like Namor, who clearly has a role to play in Hickman's X Men. There's all these seeds where it's like, hey, can you all not touch those toys? Because I think Hickman has a plan for them. It'll be interesting to see. How that plays out. But again, like, there have been really good examples too. You know, we've seen Wolverine and Immortal She Hulk. We've seen a recent uh, Danny Moonstar and Rain Sinclair story from Marvel's Indigenous Voices that is quite good. We've seen uh, Jerry Duggan's work in Savage Avengers, you know, which has also been pretty good too. Of course, that's like. Two-thirds of those creators are X-Office-related, so it makes some sense. I mean, it feels kind of important to mention this, that there have been good examples, because I'm not just inherently opposed to non-X-Office titles integrating elements of the Krakoa era of X-Men. In fact, it's kind of thrilling to capture these moments in my Hickman-era X-Men reading order on Comic Book Herald to see, like, how is Krakoa getting integrated to the Marvel Universe broadly, you know? And before all is said and done, we'll see plenty more instances of X-Men characters in non-X books and of non-X books responding and reacting to what's happening on Krakoa. You know, it's inevitable. So far, through the first year and change, the Hickman era has really only spilled into the world of Fantastic Four through the Zdarsky-written 4-issue mini. Otherwise, the X-Line has been impacted by other Marvel storytellers, you know, Empire and the upcoming King in Black events, for example, but it's not reaching out and changing things for the likes of the Avengers, Hulk, Daredevil, Spider-Man, etc. So that will inevitably cease to be the case at a certain point. You know, Hickman's story, there's no way it doesn't just kind of touch all tendrils and all facets of the Marvel universe. I'm sure there will be an event down the road that relates to this, and I look forward to it. But that has not happened as of yet. Coming back to the Fantastic Four story, you know, I will caveat here that the Franklin Richards retcon, it's midway through a story, and if there's anything comics fandom is famous for, it's overreacting to a story change that will ultimately revert to their preferred status quo. So purely on the, like, technicality of is he a mutant, isn't he, like, we're in the middle of a story. Dan Slott seems to forever remember Superior Spider-Man in this regard and for good reason when fans absolutely lost their minds about the death of Peter Parker and Otto Octavius taking over as Spider-Man. I like Slots' work on Superior Spider-Man an awful lot, and the fan outcry over this plot is embarrassing. It was embarrassing then and it's embarrassing now, especially when anybody with half a comic under their belt could tell you Peter Parker was always probably kind of going to come back to Marvel. And of course he did in like a little over a year. There are major differences with Franklin being a mutant, though. And again, major differences in the very specific way this revelation was delivered. It's not just about the pure comics impact of the change. I think, like, literally on a surface level, if you just say to me, do you, you know, what's, should Franklin be a mutant or a human? Like, I, it's up for debate. I don't, it doesn't necessarily have a huge meaning to me. Like, if you asked Marvel fans 10 years ago if it was important to them that Franklin was a mutant, I don't know that there would have been an overwhelming majority in it's definitely become a lot cooler and a lot more interesting, at least to me as a reader, in the Hickman and House of X. Uh, area, you know, so it's not just about that pure comics impact of the change, which on the surface is a reach but not impossible. What irreparably breaks Slot's approach to removing Franklin's X gene, even if it's for a single issue in one month of real world time, is how needlessly this page sets the mutant metaphor aflame for everyone involved. If you apply what Professor X is saying to virtually any minority group, which the X Men and mutant metaphor are very much connected to, it's unquestionably the most offensive horror. Ideas put to paper connected to any X Men story of this era. One possible reading is the way that what Professor X is saying lashes out at queer or trans readers, implying their nature is actually just a desire of theirs to appear different and special. Whatever you think of this era of Professor X, hearing the leader and beloved figure of the X Men strike out at a young teenager in this way is really troubling. Another reading is that Franklin Richards, son of Marvel's first family, with all the benefits and support that entails, Pretended to be a minority because he thought it'd be cool. Maybe Slot and Company are really planning to dig into what the heck prompts someone to do something like that, but I kind of doubt it. And even if they were, the question would still remain whether or not that was a good idea at all. Again, just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Now, if all this sounds like kind of a reach, I honestly think it all comes down to perspective. I was not aware of X-Men Fantastic Four miniseries as a deliberate analogy for coming out as queer or trans, but I've since read many perspectives sharing how the story reads differently to those individuals. And Chip Zdarsky himself confirmed it's an intended interpretation of the story on the Explain the X-Men podcast. As always, it's fine if you're not picking up on those readings because you have a different perspective. But for many readers, hitting a page like this in an issue of Fantastic Four is a punch to the gut, and that has to be acknowledged. Again, if it sounds like a reach, Dan Slott himself has already apologized for the words. His Twitter presence is a hot mess, so I don't know if he's really done this sufficiently, but I have seen him at least try. I'm not into this idea. Purely. Like, just as a fan, I'm not into the idea. But conceptually, I've provided ways it can work. But as is, written like this, it never should have seen print. It's just, it... it, too offensive, it should not have been put to print. So, for more on what are frankly much larger issues, I recommend a couple pieces of writing on the subject, which I'll link to in the show notes. There's a piece by Danny Kinney on Women Write About Comics that came out during the X-Men Fantastic Four Mini that sheds a lot of light on how Franklin's story is interpreted this year that I would recommend, and again, that link will be in the show notes. And Charles Pulliam Moore with IGN wrote this week about Franklin's newfound connections to Rachel Dolezal, and even Marvel Comics editor-in-chief, C.B. Sabalski, who pretended to be an Asian man in order to make Himself seem more credible as a comics writer interested in Asian culture in the meantime I don't really expect this change to last I, I don't and given the immediate backlash you know I won't be shocked if in a few months time this retcon has been written off entirely. So I look forward to Franklin's return to Krakoa and the quality stories that will follow and and looking back at this as like a really weird misstep. Um, Not w- weird the wrong word, but just like it's a misstep, you know, and, and a bad one. And for many people, it's an offensive one. Um, So let me know what you think. Let me know what you think about the retcon of Franklin Richards. Does it make sense? Should it have happened? Um, you know, different interpretations I may have missed, obviously. Like, I'm not attuned to everything in this comment. You know, I've had less than a week to percolate. So let me know what you think all this in the comments, um, too like do you want Franklin around as an Omega level mutant you know for the the Hickman narrative like should it be left to the X offices to decide what to do with this character is removing him you know a problem for the X-Men's future moving forward in the storylines they want to tell so let me know what you think comments theories all that fun stuff and uh, I will be happy to read and and comment where I can. Thanks, to everybody who listens to Comic Book Herald podcast and in uh, YouTube here on Crack and Krakoa. You can find ways to support the site and things that I do at Patreon.com/slash Comic Thanks in particular to our mysterious benefactors for supporting the site. Thanks, Ron Paul, Kirkley, Jesse W, Professor Pride, Steve Brennan, Cole Weathers, Martin Lopez, Chris Isidro, Brent Bowser, Professor X three seven six nine, and P.D. Appleseed for your very generous support. In the mysterious benefactors tier which is the highest tier that i have support on on the pi- patreon tier and get your name read on videos i'm dave you can find my stuff at comicbookherald.com at comicbookherald pretty much anywhere on social look for best comics ever in my marvelous year podcast for more from me i'll be back this week with the conclusion coverage of the tennis sword event i'm looking forward to it i'll see you all there thanks for listening everybody and as always enjoy the comics